Hi, I'm Louise. And I'm Mary Kay. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks all about literary fiction. We are recording today's show on the 12th of May, which means that it is a day, it is a date, and I am approximate about that fact solely in the world because everything is still weird, but we hope you're surviving and working through it with us. Yes, we do. (laughs) Very much so. It is a pleasure to have you on board. All right. On today's show, we are discussing current affairs and news from the literary fiction world, doorstoppers that we loved, and by this we mean the bookish kind of doorstoppers, and not the DIY sort, because that's a very limited discussion. (laughs) (laughs) And we will also be sharing our current reads. Yes. And before all that, let's hear from one of our sponsors that make this possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Tor Books. So if you are a fan of epic fantasy, if you're a fan of Scott Lynch and or Joe Abercrombie, but you want something a little different, you want a hero who's like a bit of a mess, then The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan is for you in its Academy dropout slash disgraced noble heir Lacan Cordova's life is in shambles. All he's got going for him is one, he is a card sharp of considerable skill and two, a lot of maybe potentially a little too much wine. So they're, you know, those are the positives. So when the bizarre murder of his father robs him of even the off chance of redemption, Lacan decides to make amends another way. He's going to unravel the mystery behind the killing, even if it takes him to the underbelly of Sophrona, a city of danger, secrets, and merchant princes. Finding the truth is one thing. Finding the truth and staying alive is like a whole other thing. So make sure to check out The Silver Blood Promise by James Logan on sale May 7th. And thanks again to Tor Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. So let's talk about what is going on in the literary world because there's a ton going on, but nothing happening, if that huh? makes sense. Like, yeah, that's a really good way to uh, say it. <laughs> um, time is paused, my life is buffering, etc. Um, it is the time I, of the think piece. Yes, it totally is. So I have a think piece, sort of, and I'll link to it, of course, in the show notes. It is from the BBC, 
and it's about books that could be flourishing in this pandemic era because if you're like us we are flying through books like Mm. I am reading more than I have since I was fun employed which is what I call like when you don't have a job but you have one lined up Mm -hmm. so you don't really have to worry about it you can have fun um Nice. Yeah. So, (laughs) so uh, a couple of things from this article that I thought was interesting. Uh, I know a few episodes ago we talked about um, people like to read nonfiction who aren't typically quote unquote readers Mm -hmm. because it's like learning or reading a newspaper kind of. Um, And this is the first time in two years that fiction has outsold nonfiction. That is a big shift, isn't it? It's a big shift. Um, and crime fiction is also on the up, which surprised me a little bit because crime fiction to me is like, in the to me, so not everyone, but like when my life is very calm, I want to read about something that is insane, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like I want to read about chaos. Um, but one of the analysts in this article said that and this is a quote, though it can be dark and gritty and usually it usually ends with justice done, the killer identified and punished and peace restored. So I think like the endings might be what makes crime fiction cathartic yeah. at this time, which totally makes sense to me because we don't know, like there's so much uncertainty mm-hmm. in our world currently. And... Um, They also said historical fiction could continue to flourish through troubled times because it can help to anchor anxious readers with its strong sense of place and traditional storytelling structure. So, okay. Yeah, I thought that Mm -hmm. was interesting. And um, they, they think that those two, those three trends are somewhat short term. But that uh, the long term, because that's what people turn to in crisis, right? Somewhat escapist genre fiction. Um, But long term, they're saying, and this is a quote as well, what will come out of this is interesting to think about. Maybe like in the 1930s that there will be a big split. The Depression brought us both the golden era of pulp fiction and big, serious, realist novels. So, yeah, so it could take a while for that to happen because you need some psychological buffer, like distance to sort of process what happened in order to make art out of it. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was just interesting that they were looking at like past crises to Mm -hmm. see where the trend in or the trends in what people are reading are going or where they're going. I think your Um, point about like allowing the time to let it sink in before you start writing is an important one. Because I think there's going to be a lot of people putting out, like, the next coronavirus pandemic novel, and it's just too soon in a way. Totally. Mm. Yeah. Also, they were saying, like, we don't want to read that right now. Like, that's already what's happening to us. So while certain titles about plagues are on the rise, it's... It's a cup. It's a few titles, and not like the whole sub genre. So it's not like a massive trope. trend. It's like isolated, right? It's right. like there people are going back to classics, and in those classics, in, like Albert Camus' *The Plague* is included. Mm-hmm. So that's 
you know, one of the things to consider. And the article ends, and I loved this, uh, by saying, while predicting the long-term literary future is all well and good, the most pressing concern right now, of course, is to keep bookshops and the publishing industry afloat. So (laughs) if you had... If you're thinking about reading a book and you just don't know when you're going to get around to it, go ahead on and buy it. If you know you're going to get someone a gift card to Amazon or Barnes & Noble in the future, just go ahead on and buy it. Mm-hmm. Because, um, I mean, it, the thing is, like, people are reading more, but they're not necessarily buying more books because they're not in the store. I mean, so much of yeah. p- of choosing a book is serendipity. Like, what's what fate? What jumped out at you? And that we're not having that right now. It's all algorithm based. So, so yeah, yeah. I think um, it comes from like a point of privilege to say what I'm about to say. But one of the things that's really helped us, and this is my household, is mm-hmm. the um, scheduling in of treats, so to speak, as you go through this process. So you know, oh, for example, you have. Um, some cakes arriving from a local baker's mm-hmm. or something. You have something to look forward to that is different from the news cycle, the stress of what we are all experiencing. And books form part of that process. They form a really valuable, lovely moment in your lives. Um, someone said to me on Twitter today that they'd made a rule that they could order one book a week. And I think that's brilliant. Like the whole process mm-hmm. of just going... I need this in my life. I'm going to make time for it. I'm going to treat myself to it now. So, yeah. Definitely. I was wading through my TBR pile, and I was like, this is the lowest it maybe has ever been in my life. Yes. And I was like, you know what? I know I'm going to read these books in the future at some point because I've been wanting to. So I just went head on and ordered all of them. And of course, like the shipping is delayed because we're relying so much on the postal service. So by the Mm -hmm. time I finish a book, the next one usually has like just arrived. So it's still like brand new. You can get it out of the packaging if you want. Um, Yeah, I think. and, And I also am grateful for the downtime that I have to read even if it is harder to actually do it yeah at this moment yeah Um, you're right um like when you said earlier about oh we're all reading so much more it's like we are but equally there's moments where you kind of look at a book I know for me for sure um looking at a book and thinking I just don't want to read this I don't want to read anything yeah just sort of oscillating between those oh oscillating that's a good word Mm, Um, great word i love it (laughs) take for myself um yeah oscillating between these two extremes like you want to Mm -hmm. read everything and you are reading everything and then um just reading nothing and sort of staring into the void a little bit yeah i uh i had to separate um the space in my one bedroom apartment (laughs) so that like this is the section of the house where I work. And when yeah. I'm done working, I go over there and that's where I get to read or watch TV. And like the bedroom is only for sleeping. Like, because otherwise it, like my whole cycle will get messed up. I have to be very like compartmentalized mm. physically. Um, but that's just, you know, me personally. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I just want to lose my whole sense of being in a book. And sometimes I, you, I can't let go enough to do that. Well, you see, now this sort of ties in handily enough to the next mm-hmm. um, article we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a another think piece on the bookseller. And we will pop the link in the show notes as well. Um, so don't worry about that. 
but it's about uh, virtual literature and I don't know about you but virtual life zoom web chats uh, video calls conferencing it's suddenly a new level of prominence in my life mm-hmm. like the amount of zooms I've done over the past couple of weeks has been ridiculous and yet I was thinking um a month ago I didn't even know what this thing was Right. Like their numbers for all virtual chatting are mm. are exponentially higher than they were yes. two months ago. Exactly. So that's why I, yeah. I, virtual thinking is pretty much the zeitgeist at the moment in certain senses. And mm-hmm. this piece kind of goes, okay, so what can the, quote, collaborations between writing and publishing and technology uh, become in this space? Because we've all learned how important it is to stay in touch how important it is to have that connection with people and it's not rehashing the physical book versus ebook argument because that is boring and dull and let's not go there Mm -hmm. but rather it's saying what can we make the next sort of version of the book to be and what Mm -hmm. can we give it from technology to to open up its possibilities yeah, that's, I'll be honest, a lot of the terms in the opening of this article, I was like, I have no idea what that is, hmm. just because they were so nuanced and specific. I mean, it was delightful, like, I can't wait to find out what that's going to look like. But um, I was thinking of uh, some of the the movies or uh, different interactive sort of platforms that are somewhat literature, like, remember Bandersnatch? Oh, yeah. The Black Mirror um, thing. I just thought, that's what I thought of when, mm. I, when I was reading this. And I know that that's not exactly the same, but uh, when the, the content sort of imitates the form, mm. it gets really interesting, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think um, your point about vocabulary, though, is um, a problem with these sorts of discussions in that they can be so exclusive at one sense. Mm. Okay. Like, if you don't know the term, if you don't know this and I think in a way these um, technological shifts have been so brilliant but they've been so individual and personal and very much located to like one-off moments that I still think we're reaching for some sort of virtual literature that doesn't quite exist yet that we don't quite know its name Mm -hmm. and the thought of making it public like global is so far away from where it is that it's it's got a long way to go before it gets to that point. It's going to be cool. It is. It is. And I hope it I, is. I remember in one sci-fi issue of The New Yorker, there was a story called Black Box. Okay, so the it was in The New Yorker. It's called Black Box and it's by Jennifer Egan. And it was published in a series of tweets because it is like a spy's log. Nice. So I thought of that too, and I and I love the those types of literature that where they imitate the form, which yeah. normally it's the other way around, right? Like the form imitates the content, mm-hmm. but when but when the form becomes a necessity, like it is now with the Zoom calls, yeah, or any kind of virtual interfacing, it's it's going to get really interesting, I think. And I think that for this as well, like the article before saying, like we might need a buffer. Uh, like mm. a psychological like processing period before uh, before we see really 
good stuff coming. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to it. No, it should be great. I sort of started thinking about this article on like a more um, immediate level. And I'm thinking, well, I would love like the innovations that I would dream of would be like a library book that returns itself when it's due. (laughs) I would die for that. Um, It just jumps off the shelf and flies out the door. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, what's going on? Oh, it's just it's just returning itself. It's what it does. Right, that's or, what we've programmed it to do. Yeah, that that would save my socks in so many senses. Um, or I was thinking like a second book in a trilogy that reminds you about everything that happened in the first. Mm. I would be so happy if you got like pop-up biographies of characters just going, oh, you don't remember me because I appeared in a tiny cameo in the first book. And this book that's appeared a year later has me in um, centre center position. Here, here's who I am. Yes, I would love that. That would be yeah. <laughs> that would be really helpful. So right, especially are... with some of these doorstoppers, because that was one of my main issues with uh, yeah. many of them. All right, but uh, but yeah, before we get into the doorstoppers, we need to hear a word from one of our sponsors who makes this possible. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. So, Louise, I have a question. Go for it. How are we defining a doorstopper? Well, it's a, oh God, this is going to sound awful, isn't it? It's a big book. Okay. 
Uh, it's one of those big bulky books, 500 pages plus, that sort of area. Okay. And it's the sort of book that you can't comfortably carry around without making a substantial life commitment to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what I was thinking too, but I just wanted to make sure that you and I were on the same page and our listeners were Yeah. Were as well. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know where... I, I wonder if the expression does actually just come from like the doorstop. You know, if you just used it instead of a doorstop, you could use this ginormous book. That's what I thought. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's clever. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, so the first one that I picked for this was um, a book called Duck's Newburyport by Lucy Elman. It was shortlisted for the Booker uh, Prize in 2019, and it is a huge book. It's published by a small press in Britain, and they're really worth supporting because I think sometimes the small presses can take these risks in publishing the big, odd, unusual Mm -hmm. things that like mainstream publishing maybe doesn't have space for. Okay. It is the narrative of a woman's life. She tells it mostly in one long, unbroken sentence with the repetition of the phrase, um, the fact that. So it's like a stream of consciousness. Um, She goes, oh, the fact that so-and-so did this, the fact that so-and-so did that, it's raining outside, so on and so forth. And this continues in this kind of overwhelming stream of consciousness and thoughts. And... In some senses, I thought I hated it when I first read it because I don't think I'd ever been exposed to female thought in that density. Do you know? Sometimes you don't get that in um, literature that quite comfortably. Um, So I thought I hated it at first and then I was like really sure that I hated it. And then, (laughs) I know, you just get to that point where you think, I really hate this. This is killing me. I can't pick it up. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I'm very sure I hate this. Um, There's no space for me to pause. I can't read to the end of a chapter. Uh, What can I do with this? Do I just read it solidly for the next 18 hours and just cancel my life? And then all of a sudden, I sort of suddenly realised, I was like, I love this. I love, love, love this. So... My top tip is persevere through the first kind of several hundred pages Um, because all of a sudden you will have this moment of thinking, I get this book, I want this book and I am in absolute love with every inch of it. But it is one of those books that you just can't carry and I saw pictures of um, people like slicing it in half Mm -hmm. And sort of cutting it up and making it work for them. And I couldn't do that because it's a library book. And, right. you know, I think my soul would explode. Uh, yeah. I think Darwin did that. I think he's the one that made that famous, if I oh. remember correctly. Yeah. He's tougher than me. I just couldn't cope with it. Oh, so, yeah, Duck's Newburyport was the one that made me think of, of doing this topic in the first place. Because it's such a beast of a book. So we're doing ones that we love first. Yeah. Okay. So... One that I loved, and I defined, I did 400 plus pages. No, that's good. Because for me, that's still a lot. Um, And to get through these, I know we talked about this on a previous episode, but to get through some of the, I say get through it, but I don't really mean to like (laughs) power through it. I just mean like to make sure I'm making progress and the length of it doesn't ultimately intimidate me. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I have to like assign myself so many pages a day. Usually I'll read more than that once I get going, though. So, yeah. Uh, One of my favorite doorstoppers 
is The Museum of Innocence by Oran Pamuk. And it's translated from, I believe, the Turkish. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know this book? Please? I know Orhan Pamuk, but I don't know this one. Okay, so this one is a, it's a love story which is uncommon for me to be obsessed with a love story, but I was because it was a little bit stalkery and a little bit unpleasant because this man um, is engaged and he falls in love with his distant cousin and they have a love affair. And of course that does not go well. And they, and he turns the apartment that they had their, um, that they had their rendezvous in into a museum of things from her. So, I know. Which, (laughs) uh, I mean, to his credit, she does love him back and was kind of taken away from her family. So, it's more of a shrine than um, souvenirs from a crime, if that makes sense. But I, it, it was so interesting to me and it just kept unfolding. Like, things... I feel like I told you most of the the narrative, but that happens in the very beginning, and the rest of it is him unpacking what happened. So I really loved it, and I thought that 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 the length very well suited it as well, because yeah. the form imitated the content type of thing. So that's the Museum of Innocence. Excellent. So, um, yeah, sometimes I think you can get a bit indulgent with certain books like this, the author. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of um, one book in particular, which I won't name because cause that's not the route road that I want to go down. Um, <laughs> but it felt that it just could have done with some massive editing. Mm-hmm. It needed just cutting down to size. And I think mm-hmm. if you can fill like the length of this space, if you can go 400, 500 pages and actually earn it, as opposed to just kind of, um, I don't know. Continuing. Just, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Just, just banging on and on and on. And you're just like, guys, shut up. I'm done. Right, right. So what uh, was that? Sorry. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the get in late, get out early mm. scene sort of thing most of the time. But I think to your point, when you can do it well, it is really, really great and something special and to be celebrated. Yes. Like, you don't yeah. want to know that time... You, you, you don't want to feel that time is passing, do you? You want to be kind of... You want to read it and kind of think, oh, my God, I've looked up an hour later, as opposed to thinking, if I just keep going. Yeah, and I... And the the another that I loved is The Swan Gondola mm. by Timothy Schaffert, which I know I've mentioned on here before, so I won't go into as much detail about it, but uh, the whole time, absolutely beautiful all the way through. Wanted to underline the whole thing. Yes, I do write in my books, Louise. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But they're mine. I could do that. They're mine if I bought them. Um, yeah, and I found myself, like you said, looking up and it, like, hours having passed. Yeah. And then also um, caring more about what happened to the characters than people that I was actually interacting with. Like, I can remember wanting to tell them, like, Oh my! This happened to my friend. Like that's how realistic the characters were for me. Mm. Is like, you know, I was like about to relay to them, <laughs> like my actual <laughs> friends. This happened, and now that didn't happen to me or to anyone that was in a book. <laughs> so I just that that one was a real treasure, uh, and that's the Swan Gondola. And then 
the last one that I loved that I wanted to tell you about is uh, The Crossing by Cormac McCarthy, which is part two of the Border Trilogy. And it definitely is a literary Western. Love it. I loved it, too. I mean, the whole Border Trilogy is amazing, but The Crossing is definitely the doorstopper among them. Um, See, that's quite unusual for, like, the second one of a trilogy to kick in, right? Yes, and I I think it was actually a really smart thing to do because the first, All the Pretty Horses is also a Western, but much more um, fast-paced dramatically. And in the second one, it's a, a totally different character, a different set of... Uh, like it does not seem like they go together necessarily, except for they're in the same time period. Um, and then in the third, they merge. Yeah. So it's it's really cool. I love that trilogy. It's super long. You can buy all three together, but like you said, it's hard to carry around. Like the quarantine <laughs> is a perfect time to be reading a doorstopper because you don't have to go anywhere with it. Yes, you are <laughs> you know? in one place. This is their time. Let the doorstoppers have their moment. Yeah, but on the other hand... They can be terrible. Like doorstoppers yes. can be just going on and on. So tell us about the ones that you hate. So um, again, when like planning out this episode, it was just basically there was one book that went in this bit, and it was Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Yes, and I remember you trying very hard for a long time. I was thinking, right, one. I have to properly read this because. I adore the musical. I think Eponine is one of the best characters you'll ever see. And she has some banging tunes, um, <laughs> which I know pre- I appreciate. It doesn't quite translate to uh, the book. But yeah, I love Eponine. I love Fant- Fontaine. Um, I think it's a really fascinating cast of characters. But the book, my goodness, it was just... I tried over and over and over again. And the point where I actually reached, like, my um, actual decision of going, I'm done, was when Victor Mm -hmm. Hugo went, I'll hold on for a moment, but you need to know about every inch of this character's house, and I'm going to give you a lovingly detailed 300 paragraphs of interior design. Mm. I know, that was the noise I made. I mean... I love interior design. I love hearing about historical homes, but that's a lot of it. It was just, I just thought, no. Yeah. I, I mean, really feel like that should be interspersed with things that are actually happening. Mm. Personally. It's, it's I think it's a lot to ask sometimes, and I'll appreciate there'll be people out there who love Lamez and who are screaming at the radio now or the radio oh of course like all the things that we hate someone loves yeah so forgive me for this but um i just thought no i i you haven't earned this amount of of commitment from me yet Mm -hmm. like i'm not ready to just go oh yeah i think i will read vast amounts of detail about this guy's house because it's not been um i haven't had the payoff i haven't had some result for my investment here right and yeah. I think, in a sense, um, I, I, I wrote about this the other day, it's almost like selfish reading. You want something to reward you for paying interest to the book. Mm-hmm. And I thought, do you know what? This this description of this guy's house is it, and I am done. <laughs> <laughs> that actually reminds me of uh, the book The Princess Bride, which is called The Good Parts Version, because oh. the, the con- conceit of the story is this man is... 
uh, editing it because his grandfather read it to him, but it's totally different the way the grandfather read it than Mm. it is uh, actually. And he talks about how like, well, this, there's 300 pages here detailing like their wedding gifts. I cut that for you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what it made me think of uh, when I was reading this. Yeah. That's William Goldman, isn't it? Yes. Oh, such a genius, that man. His books are amazing. And if you're into uh, screenwriting, I know we're slightly stepping away, but his screenwriting books are just stunning. Right. There's a good chance that one of your favorite movies was written by him. Mm. He's incredible and ubiquitous. Like, he's so much writing. Mm. He's great. So what were the ones that, like, the doorstoppers that made you just go, no, I I am done with this. I am done. Yes. So... And I know that I'm going to catch some heat from for this because I hate it so much. <laughs> um, the unexpurgated version of On the Road by Jack Kerouac. Ooh, okay. Flames on the side of my face. I just, it's so much of him who I hate, whom I hate. And so much misogyny and so much internal monologue of someone I hate <laughs> that I, I had to read it for a class and I read it and all of the other things, because it was a new journalism class, all of the other things I read, I loved Hunter S. Thompson, excellent I mean, you don't really like him as a person, but his writing is bomb, right? Yeah. And I remember going into this independent study and my teacher going, so what do you think? And I was like, honestly, it was really hard for me to get through. And she was like, he sucks, right? Don't you hate him? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> Just I this little so club getting together. Right. Because oh. she, well, she I mean, the point of it was, of course, to be like, that is what was cool at the time. Yeah. So to get the... Um, you know, the full perspective of the culture, like you have to read some of the things that you wouldn't have subscribed to, but that other, a lot of people did. And at the time, like a bunch of my friends, this is back when you had like your favorite quotes on Facebook, Mm -hmm. put that like Roman candle burning, like whatever. And I was like, you didn't read past that. I know it because you wouldn't (laughs) like it if you didn't, if you did anyway. Yeah. So on the road, uh, I, I do not like that book. And, and this is also going to be, I think, a pretty unpopular opinion, but Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. I, I, I am nodding, if that's any sympathy. I am nodding away with this. I'm like, hmm, I think okay. I'm, I'm with you. So this one, though, I respect it. I do. I just didn't like it personally, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because there's so many characters. And when you were talking earlier about, like, the virtual literature, if we really could have like a little pop-up biography about a character I forgot, that would have helped me with this book so much. Yeah. And then someone spoiled the ending. (gasps) No. Yes. I had that with The Sixth Sense back in the day. Mm -hmm. Someone's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're not going to see this film. I'm like, well, I might, but I'm not going to see it now, am I? Right. Oh, the worst. Yeah, and it normally wouldn't bother me except for, in some cases, the ending is what makes the book worth reading. Like, it is a payoff. Yeah. If that makes sense. And in those in those two examples, that's the case. So, And I was also almost done with it, and I was like, are you kidding me? 
No, that's worse. Like if you're three or four, I'm I'm literally clutching my pearls at this point. I know. (laughs) If you're like three or four pages into it, maybe, you know, all right. But if you're just at the end, oh no. Right. And again, I do respect Anna Karenina, of course. I did finish it, but I, I don't, I know that it's classic and sometimes the classics don't transfer into contemporary culture as well as we hope that they might and I think Uh that's one of them for me personally so I was intrigued as well at your other pick for one of the ones that you didn't like yes um and this is not because I disliked the book I just gave up because the book was so heavy Mm. and I am ashamed to say that I didn't read it because I know it's amazing I'm talking about Moby Dick uh by Herman Melville um and I really feel like the obstacle of the doorstopper in this case is not, or in most cases, honestly, is not so much the length. Like, I don't mind reading the same thing yeah. for a long time. It's the format because mm. I need the words to be big enough for me to read without without hurting my eyes and to make, to make it so that I feel like I'm making progress. Like, yeah. I, need, I need to turn a page once in a while. I just need that as a human, physically, yeah. to be able to I don't get to, that, like, like with um, ebook readers. You can read through, but it, yes. doesn't, it doesn't sort of feel like you are making progress. Yes, and I so I just ordered an e-reader. It was supposed to be here yesterday, and I ordered it for this reason, ah. so that I could get through big books without having to carry them around. Because, I mean, I know we're not having to go anywhere right now, but, I mean... It is somewhat discouraging to not feel like I'm making progress. And Mm -hmm. especially in the case of Moby Dick, where so much of what what we admire about it is the syntax. So, I mean, it's easy for me to lose my place and then be like, where did this sentence start? And then I tried to get it on audiobook, and I was like, well, the syntax is so complex that I can't follow it on audio because I'm not really an audio an, an, an oral learner but um yeah so I'm hoping that my new e-reader will help me get through heavy books that because yeah. I think you can change the font sizes too right yeah you can play around with how it looks love and that. the display of it love that I haven't gotten to play with it yet but I'm super excited and I was sad it didn't come yesterday I know it's I I actually just bought one like last week as well I wonder if it's a big trend at the moment mm-hmm. with people I just going yeah yeah, and also I have a lot of like advanced reader copies that I haven't read because mm. I don't like reading on a backlit screen. At, but I do want to read them, and in you know in this case, th- things aren't shipping necessarily because people are working from home. So yeah. I gotta I gotta adapt to the times. Gotta adapt to me. Yeah. Um, so that's my main want mm. at the moment. Um, what about you? What do you want the most out of Doorstoppers? So, um, all right. So in a terribly zeitgeisty um, attitude, one of the things we decided to do was to finally watch season eight of Game of Thrones. Oh, dear. I know. Oh, God. I was like, I'd seen all the reviews of it and thinking, well, you know, we need to just finish it off the series. And maybe, you know, in this kind of Pollyanna-ish attitude of, oh, mm-hmm. maybe it's not that bad. And you were all right. <laughs> you are all right. so correct. Right. I, yeah, I appreciate I'm about a year behind at this, but you, oh my God, what is that mess? Right. 
So then um, to recover from this, we had to rewatch uh, and I had to reread Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. primarily for Helm's Deep, primarily for the Battle on Pelennor Fields, primarily because I wanted a story that was big and fantasy and messy and full of people being people and noble and trying to do the right thing in complicated times. Um, Yeah, I needed something to wash away the mess of season eight of Game of Thrones. I understand. Hmm. So I've regained my love for Faramir. I've regained my love for Aomer. I've spent many days wondering about what life would be like as part of the Rohirrim. I want a big fantasy epic and I'm wondering if people can help us out with some recommendations here because we'd love to hear what you think. Oh yeah, we always love hearing Yeah, so if you can hit us up with a big sort of Lord of the Rings type epic full of noble people doing noble things and if it involves maybe galloping around on ponies and swooshing a sword. I don't know if swooshing is a technical term here. I think it is. Yeah, swooshing. We're going with swooshing. <laughs> if it involves sword swooshing, then please get in touch and share your reading tips and we'll read them out um, in a later episode. Yeah, and if you have a recommendation for me too, mm. here's what I'm looking for. Similar to the Swan Gondola, similar to Boy Snowbird, but longer, I want like an extended adult gritty literary fairy tale nice something that shows perspectives of multiple characters and whose narratives braid together but not too clean you know mm-hmm. like a fairy tale version where it's not like not 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 like they said about crime fiction where there's like justice at the end and the yeah the bad guy gets his and um i mean that is great also but in this case you know fairy tales just aren't that neat yeah you want that little so. sort of rough ragged edge Mm-hmm. just a little bit and then the kind that like when you have that rough ragged edge it makes you later just be like but why mm. but for what to what end so yeah that's what i want so if y'all have recommendations for that get at us yeah or please. even if you just want to say like can you do an episode about something we love hearing from y'all yeah they're great thank you so much if you have got in touch yes Oh, and leave us a review. We need reviews so other people can find us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So as part of this discussion, we will also link to two articles in the show notes that are big books and long books that feel short. And they are really good lists done by our colleagues at Book Riot. And good starting points on those. We picked out a couple of titles if you're wondering where to begin. They could be A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara or Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. And we also shout out Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. Mm-hmm. If you go down those routes and pick any of those three, or even any of the titles featured on those really solid articles, then you will not do wrong. And we, uh, yeah, hope you enjoy them. Yeah. So as our sign-off, Louise, what are you uh-huh. reading right now? Right, so this will not surprise you if you've listened to the show before, but I'm really interested in um, what women writers do with with words and text. And Mm -hmm. for a while, the other week, everything that I was reading was indirectly about Virginia Woolf. (laughs) Like, everything that I came across, I don't know if it's the, if you imagine you'll see a yellow car, you see a yellow car, that type of thing. Uh, But, you know, I was seeing quotes from her. I was seeing articles about her. 
every book that I picked up mentioned her in some way and I thought well this is a sign right I need to start properly digging into Virginia Woolf's um, work and seeing what's here for me and I even ended up writing um, an article about her for a magazine so wonderful can we yeah. look to that as well I'm not yet no that. it's not out yet um maybe okay. in a later show we can catch it it won't be out yet for a bit okay uh yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll try to remember uh for the next episode yeah that'd be cool so yeah virginia wolf sort of popped up everywhere in this in this metaphorical manner not you know she didn't jump out from behind the hedges and go hello <laughs> <laughs> but i started but that off, would be amazing it'd be quite the achievement wouldn't it <laughs> yeah I started off with uh, In the Orchard, which was a short story published in 1923 in a magazine. We will have a link to that as well so you can read it. It's a very short story. But it's an incredibly evocative, vivid, skilled piece of writing. And what she does is she shifts between perspective and kind of explores a situation and an instance and a moment through all the different angles that you can do. And then I moved on to Night and Day, which are is an interesting one it's pushing me a little bit because i kind of have a difficulty sometimes with long sentences that stretch over like three or four mm-hmm. pages and have 1500 sub clauses in them but sure. every yeah every now and then though she'll drop some sort of nuanced commentary or some description of social life or some sort of moment of character that makes me think oh my god you're really good mm-hmm Like, just that moment of revelation of just thinking, you are worth... And this ties into the doorstopper thing, right? You are worth ploughing through these for these moments that you give me that are just like little, um, like literary pearls that you just drop Mm -hmm. before me and just go, here you are. So what about yourself? So I am actually between books right now because, as I mentioned, I was waiting on my Kindle yesterday, Mm -hmm. or my e-reader. It's supposed to come today, so I have several books that I want to read um I actually have talking about like authors that have cropped back up uh a lot of Shirley Jackson on deck yes um and I just got to watch the screener of the movie Shirley Elizabeth Moss is a national treasure she Um, is legendary that woman she's so good um but I think what I'm going to read first is a book of, about it's a research book. It's about uh, Bumpy Johnson. It's his biography written by his wife. It's called The Harlem Godfather, The Rap mm-hmm. on My Husband, Ellsworth Bumpy Johnson. So I think that I'll do that one first awesome. because I've been wanting to read that one for a really long time and uh, I only have it electronically. So that's what's been preventing me from doing it is that, you know, like we said, reading on screen. So excited for that. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Um, so thank you to our sponsors. Uh, thank you for listening. Don't thank forget to so subscribe. Much. Yeah. However you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends about us. Louise, where can they find you? Um, in my house. Don't come around. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me online at didyouoverstoptothink.com. And I am on Twitter at chaletfan. And I am on MaryKayMcBrayer.com, but also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at MaryKayMcBrayer. So thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.